0: People say that practicing Zen is difficult, but there is a misunderstanding as to why. It is not difficult because it is hard to sit in the cross-legged position or to attain enlightenment. It is difficult because it is hard to keep our mind pure and our practice pure in its fundamental sense. The Zen school developed in many ways after it was established in China, but at the same time, it became more and more impure. But I do not want to talk about Chinese Zen or the history of Zen. I am interested in helping you keep your practice from becoming impure. In Japan, we have the phrase Shoshin, which means beginner's mind. The goal of practice is always to keep our beginner's mind. Suppose you recite the Prajna Paramita Sutra only once, It might be a very good recitation, but what would happen if you recited it twice, three times, four times or more? You might easily lose your original attitude towards it. The same thing will happen in your other Zen practices. For a while you will keep your beginner's mind, but if you continue to practice one, two, three years or more, although you may improve some, you are liable to lose the limitless meaning of original mind. For Zen students, the most important thing is not to be dualistic. Our original mind includes everything within itself. It is always rich and sufficient within itself. You should not lose your self-sufficient state of mind. This does not mean a closed mind, but actually an empty mind and a ready mind. If your mind is empty, it is always ready for anything. It is open to everything. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. If you discriminate too much, you limit yourself. If you are too demanding or too greedy, your mind is not rich and self-sufficient. If we lose our original self-sufficient mind, we will lose all precepts. When your mind becomes demanding, when you long for something, You will end up violating your own precepts, not to tell lies, not to steal, not to kill, not to be immoral, and so forth. If you keep your original mind, the precepts will keep themselves. In the beginner's mind, there is no thought such as, I have attained something. All self-centered thoughts limit our vast mind. When we have no thought of achievement, no thought of self, we are true beginners, then we can really learn something. The beginner's mind is the mind of compassion. When our mind is compassionate, it is boundless. Dogen Zenji, the founder of our school, always emphasized how important it is to resume our boundless original mind. Then we are always true to ourselves in sympathy with all beings, and we can actually practice. So the most difficult thing is always to keep your beginner's mind. There is no need to have a deep understanding of Zen. Even though you read much Zen literature, you must read each sentence with a fresh mind. You should not say, I know what Zen is, or I have attained enlightenment. This is also the real secret of the arts. Always be a beginner. Be very, very careful about this point. If you start to practice Sa Zen, you will begin to appreciate your beginner's mind. It is the secret of Zen practice. This is the prologue to a book made up of lectures by Shunyu Suzuki, a Zen teacher of Japanese origin that played a significant role in the bringing of Zen to the West. Following by some time D.T. Suzuki Suzuki Roshi brought the actual practice of Zen to the West. D.T. Suzuki was an academic and he wrote and understood Zen as an academic would It prioritized the intellect and made, and still has made, and continues to make, I should say, for countless people, use of the prioritization of the intellect, and thus, and thus an over-significance upon the awakening spirit experience, Satori Kensho. Suzuki Roshi, on the other hand, brought the actual practice. And with that, the significance of ordinary life and ordinary being. Which, in my opinion, is the true Zen these talks were given to a lay group that Suzuki Doshi would meet with about two times a week in Northern California, where they would come together to practice Zazen. And after Zazen, he would provide information Guidance, instruction that would help these lay practitioners continue to understand and develop their practice. And here, as you heard, Suzuki Roshi is talking all about the beginner's mind in Japanese. Shoshin. I had a request to do an episode on Shoshin. And I thought it was fitting first to point out these talks. Some of them are on YouTube. You can look them up under Shunju Suzuki lectures. They come up. There's an audiobook and Kindle and paperback book as well. Where These talks are compiled under the title Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And this talk that I just read was placed as the prologue. This talk starts the book. As Suzuki Roshi mentioned, Shoshin is, was a very important concept for Dogen. Today considered the founder of Japanese Soto Zen. And I, like him, I don't want to discuss the history of Chinese Zen or Japanese Zen but I think Shoshin as a technology for refining or developing one's own practice is a technology that comes to be used and made more important under certain conditions. I think it was the same for Dogen as he was founding a new school and the reasons why he felt a new school had to be developed, I think it is the same reason why we see Suzuki Doshi giving this direction or this pointer to a lay group who really hasn't committed 100% towards Zen practice. And why we, especially as moderns and especially in an art that can be quite esoteric not only in its very structures but because it was developed from a pre-modern modality. It's very important for us too to make use of this technology of self. Called Shoshin. So, going into briefly what Dogen faced in Japan. Personally, I, you know, maybe it it is a matter of personality, but Dogen was. He always made sense to me. And I was often at odds with my academic mentor in my doctorate program in Japanese religious culture. My mentor hated Dogen. He saw him as a as a kind of Puritan conservative. A kind of person who was restrictive of Zen manifestation. And this disagreement because I respected the man well and as much as I respected how Dogen spoke to me led me to look a little bit deeper into his historical context and briefly it is the following. By the time Dogen came around, what was being called Zen had been thoroughly integrated into the political economic structures of Japan. This is a trend that happens Socially, over and over again throughout history, it has to do with the capitalistic nature of truth, wherein the will to truth and the will to power begin to merge in ways much more sophisticated than Karl Marx could have ever imagined. And eventually when that happens the natural process of moving from the the religious experience or the mystical experience to a priestly caste or to a priestly experience and on to an academic experience is also generated socially meaning let's take the buddha's experience so it was just one guy under a tree and he has the experience the awakening experience it's very Much his experience, it happens at every level of his being. His cells feel it. His mind feels it. His emotional self feels it. His intellectual self feels it. And from there he goes on to develop a practice and a level of instruction where he tries to bring others to that experience. But as that happens... people with different levels of commitment start to partake in the practice and some levels of commitment are so low that the practice is never complete and the fact that the practice never guarantees the experience itself likely in part due to the fact that the practice is made post-hoc. So you combine this after-the-fact practice with insufficient degrees of commitment in the practice and eventually the experience becomes impossible. But because the experience was true for one and eventually became true for others, it still is socially potent. But those who don't have the experience start to use its potency politically. And slowly a tradition or a practice moves from the real and individual experience of the mystic to some other larger institutional beast. And this, like again, like I said, this happens throughout history over and over and over again. You'll have this wave. And this is what happened by Dogen's time. So by Dogen's time the awakening's experience was noted by colored robes and scrolls, certificates, not unlike what we have in Aikido today, with our black belt passports and our dawn ranking certificates. Meaning because the experience is no longer actually taking place those who participate in this institution start to replace the significance of the experience for the symbolism of the experience. And dawn rankings and certifications colored belts, these things all become all important. And no one ever asked, does it actually stand for what it was supposed to stand for anymore? And this is what Dogen asked. So everywhere he looked, he saw That the metaphor and the symbol of Zen has taken precedent over the experience of Zen. Over the skill of Zen. It was a long time coming in Japan by the time Dogen came around. a famous story by another Zen master, one of my favorites and one I highly recommend you read that describes this movement is related to Ikyu. Ikyu is a fascinating character because he turned As, as, as a person will who wants to get past the metaphors and the symbols and the institutional investment and inertia and get back to the real, original experience. EQ turned all of this on its head. It's one way of rejecting what you see all around you is to invert it. So we see these historical figures throughout time, throughout history as well. So Ikkyu, for example, he saw through the dependency upon the temple system for one's practice and and he questioned to the point where If my experience is legitimate, it cannot simply take place within the blissful environment and totally artificial environment of the temple. So he spent half of his life in the temple and the other half of his life in a whorehouse. Equally, he spent a portion of his life under strict monastic code regarding love and sex. But again, the latter half, he spent it in love with a woman and the poetry. that was generated from that is absolutely amazing. So the story with Ikkyo goes something like this. He's invited to a high dignitary's house because he has received already the certification of awakening and he has been issued the purple robes of a Zen master. So, for those who understand, this is like a person who has an eighth dawn and has the title Shihan bestowed upon them. So, he's invited to this dignitary's house for dinner or some celebration. And he shows up at the back of the house. There's a lot of Zen discourse working in here, right? There's no difference between the front and the back. So he shows up at the back and the person working for the dignitaries, a staff member answers the door and Dogen says, I'm here for the meeting. He's just dressed in his regular clothes. And he says who he is and they shoo him away as a fraud, as a charlatan, because he has no certification. He has no symbolic representation. Which by that time had become more important than the actual skill. So he leaves and he comes back later. He goes to the front door He's wearing his purple robes or he's carrying his purple robes. It's kind of like a black belt with a bunch of stripes on it. And he knocks on the door and they recognize him now. He, oh yeah, you're you're the Zen master. We see it in your symbols. And they're about to welcome him in, and he starts to undress and he hands over his purple robe and he says something akin to, You didn't really want me here, you just wanted the robes. Here they are. And he walks away. This is echoed even in Suzuki Roshi's talk when he talks about a pure practice. A pure practice is a practice beyond the institutional trappings of symbols and metaphors and emblems and power games. It is as he says based upon a pure mind and the pure mind is the mind stripped of things like purple robes. So this was the air when Dogen was looking at Zen and he realized oh this is crap. There's, there are all these trappings. We listen to people Who have no actual insight, no actual experience, but have only the symbols of insight and experience. And we afford them our listening, our heeding, our obedience. And we're lost and we're trapped. And again, like I said, this happens throughout history. There's always this movement. And what people tend to do is they go back to the source. And that's what Dogen did. Japanese Zen came from Chinese Chan and he went to China. We see that again in Aikido today as more than ever people are trying to get back to what O-Sensei did. It's always relatively few, but still of a decent number. People who buy into these deeper aspects of the art and wonder why they're missing in their current teachers or their current dojo or their current federation. You'll have those individuals who will posit that, "Ah, it's all just crap. That's why. It was crap from the beginning, that's why it's crap now. And they'll go on to do something else. Same thing happened in Japan. New Buddhist movements were generated. Movements trying to revive a pure practice. But then you'll always have those people who go, who will say to themselves, it is crap now because people have lost their way. And so these people will return to the source. They will attempt to reverse engineer what once was, but is no more. And that's what Dogen did. In China, of course, he found the same system, the same historical problem. So he had to sift through the same cultural cycle until he found a teacher transmitting a pure practice aimed at a pure experience. And he brings that teaching back to Japan. So when you bring a teaching like that, you're bringing it back to people who already know what Zen is. So they believe. It's been there for a while. It's purple robes and certificates. It's hiding away from society in the mountains, in the temples. Well, from the Zen experience, this is an obstacle to gaining that experience. And since a master, whether it be Zen or whether it be Aikido or whether it be any form, any practice aimed at an original experience, Since that master can never really teach the experience itself but only a practice that generates a likely chance for the deshi to discover it on their own. Your teachings then become a matter of giving these kind of course corrections, these kind of technology of self-tweakings. And Shoshin is an extremely powerful technology of self. Especially for groups of people who already know what the experience is before they had it. For this reason, Shoshin was central to Dogen and we kind of see that same setup in Suzuki Doshi's teaching. He had to bring up, look, you're not going to understand what we're doing if you already know what we're doing before you've done it. And a parallel case is there in Aikido as well. Especially in schools And I'm going to put my school in there. That have rejected the institutional inertia. And that have opted to hold on to the historical theory that the best thing to do is to return to the source. Because it's different from what is being practiced nowadays. you're going to come face-to-face to peop- with people who are experts in nowadays. In a way, Shoshin is the first step and likely the only step ever needed for learning something. I often think about how we use the word Aikido as a kind of branding So as a branding, if you make use of the internet or in past decades the phone book, it was always good to have your business start with the word Aikido. Starts with the letter A, it'll be at the front of the list of all the martial arts schools in your area. Our dojo's name is Senshin Center. In many ways, this is the opposite of a branding, a proper branding utilization. S comes near the end of the alphabet, and the word Sanchin Center does not tell you anything about what is practiced there. In many ways, the, uh, the word Aikido, while it does come at the beginning of the alphabet and then at the front of any listing, Aikido too is not a very good branding tool because most people don't know what Aikido is, although they're learning more and more now because it is the internet favorite target of martial incompetence. So people in my school, people very close to me will wonder why and even protest that I don't list, for example, Aikido of such and such, that I just list sentient center. It doesn't tell you what we do. And part of the reason, the majority portion, speaks to this question and this problem of, of Shoshin. Because people will look up the school anyways, they're looking for an Aikido school, and that search already tells you that the mind is trapped. there's already a surety of what it is and what it is not. And via that surety, a new member or new trial member comes into the dojo. And if they've had any experience, let's take two kinds of people. The one who has no martial training and then the one who has had some Aikido training. The surety of what Aikido is, which allowed for the search on the internet to take place, is brought in with them and this is not the pure mind. This is a mind already tainted by surety. Now if you're doing an art, for example, where you feel you're bypassing the current institutional trappings, for example, let's stick with the ones we've mentioned so far, rank and certification. You've seen through the shit that rank and certification is just a joke. It's a pyramid scheme where lower ranks push up higher ranks. It's a matter more of attendance than it is of skill. It has absolutely no place in any sort of daily practice because it affords you nothing at the level of experience. But this person who trains somewhere else might be very interested in, well, I don't want to waste my time here because you're not going to lend yourself towards my rank advancement. This is where you get questions like, are you federated? What what do you do for testing? Or let's say you go back and you notice that historically there was a kind of internal aspect to the founder's art that is just not present in any kind of widespread way today. And that as such you cannot just position your body any old way especially at the beginning that some ways of organizing the body lend themselves more than other ways in the development of internal skills. And that some widely accepted ways, especially by people who have prioritized the metaphoric value of certifications, titles, and ranks, that some ways associated with them might be outright wrong. Caved in arches, tight rope footwork, floating rear feet, bracing angles, etc. the capacity to do these things or to abandon those things and to take what is more in alignment with the original physiological qualities is going to be very difficult for that person who already knows what Aikido is. It is what they've been doing They're not going to let go of that tightrope stance, you know, where the both arches are on the same line in the sagittal plane. It won't matter that no sport does that, that no martial art other than Aikido does that. It won't matter that it is architecturally unsound it won't matter that it uses external muscle isolation and therefore is is requires that strength output can overcome the resistance it won't matter what they do what they are doing is aikido and What they're being taught is not Aikido. I can imagine when Suzuki Roshi was trying to teach Dogen Zen, following a dissemination of what Zen was from an academic point of view by D.T. Suzuki it probably was very, very difficult to have people stop chasing the awakening experience. The ecstasy of the mystical experience. That following Dogen, his Zen, and rightly so, was about the ordinary experience. So, how do you get a group of lay people, which again means not fully committed? To stop practicing Zazen with the intention of achieving spiritual ecstasy. You're going to tell them, hey, adopt Shoshin, let that expertise go. If we go back to our second person who comes into the Aikido Dojo, they did a search and they're no less trapped than the first person who was doing Aikido, who knows what Aikido is. Because today, through techniques like Aikido branding, through inadvertent and even unwanted understandings of Aikido being spread on the internet. This person knows. It's a non-violent art. It's a purely self-defense art. It's where you use the opponent's energy against them and you blend with their energy. It's the way of harmony. They all know it and with all of those phrases they have their own understanding of what does nonviolence mean, what does self-defense mean, what does harmony mean. And all of these understandings are pre-experience and therefore they cannot be right. And so every teaching and training moment is filtered through this expertise, this knowledge this filled mind and it makes for an impure training. There's no direct absorption of the information there's always this filtering that happens. So the student looks for aspects of self-defense that meet their current understanding of self-defense. They look to reify their own expert opinion. And those aspects of self-defense that don't are rejected. This is why Suzuki Roshi has that phrase that it's the same in the arts. This is the same problem. By arts, he means like tea ceremony, the martial arts, archery, calligraphy. But this emphasis on Shoshin going back to Dogen through Suzuki Roshi and through anyone who is trying to understand Aikido in a way different than how it is commonly understood. While while it is a form of upaya, meaning it is what these people need to know and hear. It is still an addressing of a timeless problem. And that is the following. We are our largest obstacles. There is something in the constructs of our body-mind evolutionarily developed or not, that is unique to us. Wherein we can quite easily do something that is against our wants, our will and our wellness. And when we come to these traditions or these practices whereby we attempt to address our overall wellness, this unique aspect of our creature-ness is ever-present. Today, on other podcasts, other websites, forums, groups, you will constantly see caveats over teachers in the martial arts. warning after warning of how teachers will sabotage your practice. And while I do not doubt that something of that nature is mathematically present, whatever amount that is, it is like one grain of sand in the desert of how deshi sabotage their own practice. And this is one of the key ways of how they do it. No shôshin. So Shoshin is a technology of self but it is a gift we give to ourselves. It is not there for the teacher or even the teaching. It is there for us. We are our biggest obstacle. And as Suzuki Roshi described, it's a timeless problem. It's, it is a, a problem that is weaved into the constructs of our existence that even if we could come in with an empty mind, we will fill it in the first year or the second year or the third year or even by the second rep or the third rep or the second day that week we will fill it with expertise, with surety. And we will thereby lose the pure experience, the pure mind, the capacity for deeper learning And ultimately we will have departed from the way. Because the opposite of Shoshin using current words is always going to be nothing more in the body-mind tendency to experience the world through the tripartite of ego, fear, and suffering. And in a teaching like Zen or Budo, Which is attempting to deconstruct that threefold relationship. The one where identity and fear feed each other, self attachment and fear feed each other, and then get multiplied by the energy of suffering and now further reified. The use of this threefold aspect of ourselves is the exact opposite of Zen, the exact opposite of Budo. Which is why anyone stuck in that cannot demonstrate these arts at their higher levels. For example, the Zen practitioner cannot find Zen in ordinary life. Or the Aikidoka cannot exhibit Takamusaiki or the spontaneous expression of the art outside of controlled environments. So there's not only this obvious example of Shoshin being absent in the person who's coming from another school or the beginner who knows what to look for on the internet. There is just this thing in us. This aspect of ourselves. This way that our body-mind functions and goes on living no less than as if we were awakened but functions through self-attachment, fear and suffering. And this is what we must ever be on guard for, in the sense that we must continually observe the self and look for this surety, this lack of pure experience, this adoption and adherence to symbols. And metaphors and institutional trappings. This ongoing effort to remain the mystic and forever prevent ourselves from becoming the priest or the academic. Shoshin, the getting out of our own way. The skill in humility, the emptying of oneself is both the door to Zen's experience or to Budo's experience but it is also that experience itself. In my school, where we do not do tests, and we therefore do not have an hourly, weekly prescription, or an allocation of techniques corresponding to a certain rank. We simply have daily training and a bridging of on and off the mat. An effort and an aim to find the art in ordinary life. in this kind of school and i imagine just as in a temple i just don't think any there is any place or any time where we can get away from this this body mind possibility of living life with a filled mind is still present. So, because we don't have these allocated techniques and our corresponding hours with corresponding rank symbolism, we usually take a principle within a technique and we work on it Until we can move on to something else. Either another principle or another application of that principle. To describe this more simply, we don't do the five or six favorite techniques of the teacher or more on that night. We usually work on one kihon waza or start with one kihon waza and then dig deeper into it. Going through ultimately a shuhari investigation into the technique because on Friday we do jiyu waza. But we start with an adherence to form and then a deconstruction of form all to strip away the technique to its principle that we want to focus in on. So by default, the art is uh, limited. The way it is being transmitted. It's very pedagogy is telling you you're not learning all of the art, you're learning a principle of the art. And nevertheless, because our body-mind has this capacity for filling itself, for surety, for expertise, for a functioning of the ego-fear-suffering cycle. People will believe that they understand the principle and make the jump then that they have understood or understand more of the whole art. And every time we take that principle and put it in a way that they could not have imagined, you can see the same cycle functioning. The ego, the identity attachment lets them believe they have the principle and therefore the art. And so there's a gap, whether it be in terms of time, they're late. Or in terms of space, they're too far, they're too close. Or a gap in terms of expectation, I did not know it was going to get this violent. Or a gap in presumed duration. This really was much faster than I thought it would be. And then of course that gap generates the fear because it triggers the self-preservation instinct. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to die. This generates a tension via an attachment and a resistance and that always generates suffering anywhere from you now can't land safely from this distance above the mat or you're not conscious enough because your mind got captured to realize where you are in the throw. Or even just an ego bruising where you realize I don't know as much as I think I know. It is without fail that that shows up even in a school free of the usual institutional trappings because we're human and we do this. I can see it in my deshi's faces and and feel it in their tension in their body and hear it in their breathing cycle that they are surprised. And you can only be surprised when you're sure in the first place. The beginner's mind is never surprised. Everything is what it is. It can never be different from what it's supposed to be, different from what is expected, different from what should be. The beginner's mind is the mind of pure experience. And this is why it is central to Zen and to Budo, Because these are experiential traditions. These should be experiential traditions. The idea that We can train without Shoshin. Seems far-fetched to me. And what Suzuki Roshi has said I have found is very much true. In the expert's mind, there are few possibilities. And in the beginner's mind, possibilities are infinite. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentientcenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.